Welcome to episode 90. This week, artist, singer, and creator, Skinned. Together, her and producer, multi-instrumentalist, Father, do something extremely different by crafting music inspired by the stories and crimes of the world's most infamous killers. Their latest EP, Chapter 2, is available everywhere now. And since the time of this recording, they have just performed their first unforgettable headline show at Electroworks in London to ecstatic reviews and have just announced some festival dates for 2020, including their first trip to play the U.S. at Epicenter Festival May 1st to 3rd in North Carolina, along with Metallica, Deftones, Hollywood Undead, and more. Tickets on sale now. Here we go with Skinned, and just a heads up, because of the content, listener discretion is advised. Greetings, maniacs. This is Skinned, and you're about to listen to another killer episode of The Book Crew. Speakeasy Studios is a stunningly talented and evocative artist whose very existence is shrouded in mystery. Her and her enigmatic producer and co-conspirator, a figure often in a black mask with its mouth sewn shut, known only as Father, embarked on an incredibly dark journey, making a musical and visual experience designed to provoke and make you think. Each song immerses you in events that actually took place in the annals of true crime, reflecting humanity's unspeakable cruelties. In 2018, their first EP, Chapter 1, was unleashed seemingly out of nowhere. They caught the attention of Korn's Jonathan Davis, who insisted he appear on one of the songs himself. Most recently, they released a follow-up EP, Chapter 2, and a new video for their single, Catherine Knight. They are from nowhere, they are from everywhere, they exist in our shadows. We are honored to welcome Skinned. Woo! <laughs> Hello. Thank Hello. you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Your music and visuals are incredibly cinematic. Let's start by uncovering some of the influence that is in the DNA of what you guys do. Before we get into true crime, what are your earliest experiences with the horror genre? I think I was five or six years old when I saw The Shining. And that was really affecting me because... I got addicted to it even as a child. I was really afraid and I felt like really brave that I got through the movie. So that was really something that burned into my, that's like an, a memory I have with horror movie. What are your thoughts on the recent follow-up, Dr. Sleep? I, I love that they're like renewing like the old movies. I love that. It's like a different experience. I, I like that. Oh, it's such a breathtaking movie. We are big fans of its writer-director, Mike Flanagan, who did, I don't know if you saw on Netflix, that TV series, The Haunting of Hill House that came out. Oh, yeah, I saw that one. And that one was really good. 
even like the production, you know, when you ask me about like influences, you know, when I see series like that, I got my little notebook next to me and I write down like all the stuff I want to have in my videos maybe as well or in my video uh, in my uh, music videos so I love that I love that series that was really good it had that little twist I like so I don't want to like spo uh, spoiler it but I love that that twist with the mother and you know I love it. Yeah, yeah. there's there was so many secrets revealed over that whole series. And I'm excited for the follow-up that he's doing Haunting of Bly Manor that should be, I think it's actually wrapping production as we speak. It should be, yeah, almost Crazy. wrapped up. It's going to be insane. What are some of the other favorites that, you know, you're mentioning that you'd sit down and with a notepad and write, you know, ideas that inspired you? What are some of your other favorite horror films that have, have done that for you? You know, I like American Horror Story. It's not that it's like really old, but that Siri really inspired me for like most of my videos, to be honest with you. It's just like the whole filming and uh, I don't know, like the locations and the stories behind it, how they put like the serial killers into these kind of stories that really inspired me to like for all my videos. But, you know, like there's Carrie, for example, she like that kind of movie. Also, you know, there are so many different influences. I can't really like just name them all out, but it's Carrie is one of them, too. I really have to think about it. It's all a part of your DNA, really, right? It is. It is because I grew up with it. You know, when I was like three, four years old, I really don't remember the, the age. My imaginary friend came to me and he actually opened up that kind of world to me, like this dark world. And he got me into these horror movies and true crime stories and, you know, all these dark themes. Going back to those early times and being exposed to true crime. So that part of your interest was brought on by literally this imaginary friend who had shown you this dark mirror of, of what was going on in the world, I guess. Right. Yes, exactly. Yeah. He, he opened up that world to me like. I was four when he told me, or five, uh, when he told me the story of Gary Heitnick for the first time. And it's, it's really hard to talk about it because it, it was really like a, such an intense thing for me to have this imaginary friend that no one else can see. And then you start talking about like horror movies when you're a little child and everyone thinks like, what the fuck? Uh, so yeah, it's, it's weird that now people get like, they start like asking me these questions like you guys do now. It's for me, it's like, oh, wow. They're like really interested in it. And I could never really talk about it, you know, because people were just like, what the fuck is wrong with you? So yeah. <laughs> Did your imaginary friend have a name? Yeah. He, he calls himself skinned. He introduced himself as skinned. So he's skinned. And I'm also skinned because he's a part of me. He's like my alter ego. But then again, he's my friend. Like I can still see him like he's right next to me at the moment. So he's just part of my life. And that's why I call myself skinned too. I wanted to talk a little bit about that case that you mentioned. The first one that you were really exposed to. Gary Heidnick, for anyone who isn't familiar, if you could just kind of go over the case, that would be in the mid to late 80s, I believe, in Philadelphia, correct? Yes, it was in Philadelphia. He abducted like six women. He kept them in a 
basement. Like he made like a hole in the basement and he kept them captive. He wanted to make babies with them. Like he wanted to get them pregnant because he wanted to have like a baby farm. That was when I read the book of um, Josephine Riviera. She was the first victim he abducted. When you read that story of him, he was a priester as well. Like he believed in, in the church and in God. And he thought that he's actually doing something good. And in the book of uh, Josephine Riviera, you can really feel what she felt while she was with him the whole time. While she was, he raped uh, them. He didn't give them food. He left them starve just like he gave them like one bread a day and some water. And the twisted thing about Gary Heitnick was that he could hear what the ladies were talking about, you know, in the basement. And he had this little TV he put in their basement hole and they saw an advertisement of dog food. So the ladies were like, oh, my God, they were like starved, you know, like they, they were so hungry. So they were like, oh, my God, that looks delicious. It has like, you know, the meat and everything. It, it just looks I would even eat that, you know, because they were so hungry. And he heard it. And there was that girl, Deborah. Exactly. It was Deborah. She was 23. He hanged them. But on their on their wrist. And he glued the wrists together. So she died. Deborah died because the weight of her body was too much and she was starved. And I think her heart just stopped. So he didn't know what he should do with her dead body. So he put her in the freezer. And while he heard that the ladies were talking about the, the dog food, he remembered that he had the dead body of Deborah in the freezer. Yeah, and he cooked her into stew, something like that, or into dog food and mixed dog food together with her and gave it to the ladies to eat. And they ate it. How did they capture him? Like, how was he sloppy? You know, when Josephine Rivera got abducted by him, she screamed out of the cellar many, many times and no one could hear her. Fun fact is actually that the police was there once before. And he could tell them, like, no, I haven't heard anything. Josephine ended up somehow getting away. She got out and she survived. about translating all these cases to music that were that the point where you decided to do that and take this imaginary front of yours and meld it together and create this vessel that you are now talking through which is skinned and deciding to give it kind of a musical voice actually really early i grew up with these stories and i felt like these stories were so heavy to me and i didn't know how to process them you know how to digest them as well. So I started off writing these stories or like poems into my notebook. And that's how I started making music. That's how I started 
keeping this inner animal I have inside of me, like the bad side of me, tamed by my music. I don't know if, if that makes sense to you. I think I was nine when my grandfather died because he was close to me and I couldn't really understand death, but death was some kind of one of my interests as well. But it was something close, you know, when you investigate a, a true crime story or you hear a true crime story about Gary Heitnick, for example, it's far away. You know, you don't actually know him. But when someone dies in your family, I didn't know how to process that kind of pain. So I started writing music or making music next to my poems. And I think it was really the death of my grandfather when I was like, why don't I just put it together, the poems and the music I'm writing. But I could never really find anyone who was open up to really want to work with me, like, because the subject is just something that most of the people were like, no, I, no, that's not, I don't want to write about it. I don't want to write songs about it. I could not really understand it because it's not to me, it's nothing else than watching a, a movie about it, you know, yeah, or, or read an article about it of, of a journalist. I mean, it's just art or it just gets me creative. So, but I found father that was three years ago, actually. So not that long. And that's how I started making that kind of music I wanted for like forever. You know, I, I just needed to find the right producer the right partner for it. You give these true crime cases a lot of poetry with your lyrics and there's a lot of melody there. But again, talking about father, you have these really elaborate soundscapes and they kind of evoke the work of film composers like Vangelis and people like that. And that's kind of what the music ends up sounding like. It's very cinematic. So describe your creative relationship with father and how you create these songs constructed for each individual case what is the songwriting process like with father we see each other like every day and it depends on our mood i suffer from bipolar so when i'm like really down first up we just like drone and get into a vibe because i need the music to like open up so he's playing the bass and i'm just like singing along and getting my ideas into a song. And sometimes I'm I'm really creative all by myself and I just get like the lyrics done. And then the next day I go into the studio and I, I father is like reading the lyrics and then where he's getting like ideas, you know, like he, he gets these sound ideas and then we're just like creating. I, I love that process of, or it's not just songwriting. With Jim Jones, for example, it was like I was so hurt when I listened to that 40 minutes videotape before they all drank the cyanide poison. You know, it's I don't know if you heard that audio tape before. Yeah, yeah. You can hear it online. It's very haunting. Yeah, it's really haunting. So I, I was listening to that while we were actually listen, um, writing or coming up with like a, a new song. And I wanted to write about Jim Jones. So he had that sound in his head, but I totally had like a different vibe because of that audio tape. So we had to like combining it. The process we're in when we're writing is just like we level each other up. 
you start with an idea and then I come up with something and then he's coming up with something and then he's like playing the piano and he's like playing the bass and I come up with the vocal lines and sometimes there is not even like lyrics done yet it's just the feeling of the crime I want to write about because when I when I investigate these crimes I have a certain feeling like I have this feeling in my stomach I love to take this feeling into the studio with father and just get it into the music and he's just a genius when it comes to understanding what i feel i don't know how to better explain it than that but it's just in his music he just takes my feelings i don't know if that makes sense to yeah. you yeah no there's a lot of world building going on in your music every song has its own I mean, it's all skinned, but it has its own very distinct personality. Like you were saying, like in a track like Elisa Lamb, for instance, there's sounds in the song that reflect that kind of those spastic movements that she did on that elevator surveillance footage tape. You know, the song sounds like what she was doing. And Jim Jones, like you said, has a very anthemic feel or Catherine Knight with this beautiful, breezy melody because that there's a very much kind of a twisted love story going on with it that is. case too so very much like Catherine Knight you know she suffered from bipolar too so I can really relate to that so it was easy for me to feel I mean not that I'm a killer but it's like I could feel that you know this up and down and I really wanted to have that in the song that you really feel like there's like one mood to the other and it's a whole different mood when I investigate these um, crimes, I love to write down like all their mental health problems. So I try to create the sound or we try to create the sound that sounds like being bipolar. You know what I mean? It's like when they're depressed, we try to get it like a really depressed mood it's i mean it's really easy to say that it's it you know what is a depressed mood but it's just something we try to that's why we take a lot of time as well with the songwriting or the the whole process it takes really long because we want to have all these kind of facts like really straight we want to stay true to the facts and what really happened we don't want to come up with like a lie or something so we try to even get the feelings into the music vibe. You delivered these songs in chapters. Are there any common threads that made you group them together? No, actually not. It's just, I just come up with a case and maybe in the future, I will consider that idea to like have cases that are like similar to each other. But I thought that's kind of boring. I thought each chapter needs like their individual story. Also, because the songs take really long, it's not that we have like, okay, Jim Jones wasn't in my head when I wrote chapter one, you know, I write a bunch of songs and then I pick the songs where I feel like these are the ones I want to release. And that's why I keep them in chapters because it's a chapter of my life. I just were like, okay, I want the, I want them together and I want them together. So I call them chapter one, chapter two. Have you ever uh, written a serial killer? I wanted to meet one. When I went to Australia, uh, when I met father, actually, 
um, you know, my intention, why I went to Australia was because I wanted to meet Catherine Knight, because there was an uh, opportunity for me to meet her and talk to her. But that turned out that it wasn't possible in the end. That was sad, but that actually brought me to Australia where I met father. But I wanted to talk to her. That was my first ever opportunity to really talk to a killer, not a serial killer, but a killer. And I was pretty sad when it didn't happen because it would be to me, it would be just like it would be just like it's, it's something different, you know. What would have you said to her? I would definitely ask her why, because she never really explained it. She never said why she did it. I mean, never. She feels really embarrassed for what she did. Like, you know, what was really scary was that a fellow inmate of her, she was in the same prison as her in Australia. And she texted me. She texted me on... I think it was on Facebook and um, she told me that she was in a cell or like in the same prison as Catherine Knight and that she thinks that the song really sounds like her. And that was a real compliment to me. So, yeah, but I, I would love to ask her about, I don't know if it's too weird to tell you guys, but you know, it's, I just really wanted to ask how she did it. Like, how do you skin your your partner. I mean, I know that she was trained to do that. Like she learned that kind of job, but I I just would love to know, you know, why did she come up like cooking him into stew and then trying to feed it to his kids? What have the kids like, why do you involve the kids now? What is the point here? And I just have so many questions. Like why when you read the story of her, she even wrote like the names on like little paper. I mean, why? And that's something I want to know. Why you do that? Why do you want to have like a proper dinner eating your fucking dad? This is just weird to me. And I, I would love to ask her that. But it was so sad that it didn't happen. It would be, for me also to the songwriting process, it would have done a lot. But I think um, as that woman said to me that um, the song describes her really, like really good. I think I did a, a good job or we did a good job on, on that song. Another topic you've explored is the Elisa Lamb case, which is actually very close to home. The Cecil Hotel is here in Los Angeles, and that place I'm sure you've read a lot about. Mm-hmm. I did, like the Black Dahlia. Richard Ramirez actually spent time there? I don't know if that's true. I don't know if that's just like a, you know, but it would be nice. I mean, then I have like Richard Ramirez and Eliza Lamb who were like in the same hotel. So. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, there is a lot of folklore and stories surrounding that hotel for sure i would love actually to visit that hotel i've never been there shame on me but i've never been there it, it's still there right yeah, yeah it's still there they changed the name but i know they changed the name but it's still there yeah i would love to visit that hotel but unfortunately i haven't made it yet so what is your theory on the elisa lamb story like what's your theory on what happened 
I think I explained it really good in my song. I really think that she played the elevator game. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a crazy story yeah. in itself, right? The, your, I mean, your lyrics reflect it, right? 4-6-2-10-5-1. 4-6-2-10-5-1. Yes, that's uh, the combination you have to put into an elevator. And then on the 10th floor on the 5th, there will be the lady from the underworld and she will take you into the underworld. So I really think that she did that. I mean, come on. How did she open up that tank, that water tank? I mean, yeah, you know how, as far as I know, they haven't really found any DNA of anyone on the outside of that tank. So how did she get into that tank? I said she she scratched the, the inside of the tank with her nails. So I don't know. It really does seem like the only answer would be a paranormal answer. I think so, too. I think so, too. I mean, why not? Yeah. And then that very weird coincidence about what everybody started getting. There was a tuberculosis breakout in that downtown area around the hotel. And the test for the tuberculosis is called Lamelisa. her name backwards. I know. I know. Which is chilling. You know what is more chilling? That we shot the video of Eliza Lam, you know, that building we were in. It's actually an old hospital. They were um, curing. How you say that sickness again in English? Uh, the sickness, yeah, curing tuberculosis. Tuberculosis, yes. What? They were, yes. Wow. And you know, I found out when we were done filming. I didn't know it before. That's insane. That's crazy. I know, what a right? coincidence. It is. Yeah, it's 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 a coincidence. And I, when I heard that, I was like, oh my god, people won't believe me, but it's true. Wow. Yeah, we had we had an exorcist on the show as a guest and she she was talking about the fact that she really believes that that hotel in that downtown core is inhabited by entities that are causing oh, all this stuff. Yeah, she has a really strong feeling about it. Oh, yeah. that. OK, now I really have to go there. I wanted to talk about that, just like we were talking about the visual side of skinned. And first of all, with the look you've created that is impactful and beautiful and creepy, both for yourself and for father. Can you talk about the design of the look of both of you? As funny as it sounds, I dream about my looks. Like I dream about the fabrics I want to use. And we created like all by myself, or I created all by myself. Like I draw it and then I try to find like the, the right, how you say that, the right fabrics, yeah. Um, and then I have a friend of mine, she helps me to knit it all together. So that's how it comes like together. But I, you know, I get inspired by haute couture. I get inspired by fashion as well. Like I, I, I like fashion. I like to put like different fabrics together. And, um, but the look itself, also the makeups, they come to me when I sleep in my dreams. And the makeup also changes based on the on the videos in the different cases as well. It morphs a little bit, right? Yeah, sometimes it is based on it. Like the no makeup on Tyler Hadley. I wanted to have that no makeup because I wanted to make like a point like, no, don't do it. But they are like the, the classic makeups for me. The classy one is the one with the, the black mouth, the black nose and the black mouth. And of course, like the first makeup I... I had and the doll wears the same makeup. So that's like the classy 
uh, makeup, which I use in all videos to have like my, how do you say that? Like the, it's like the signature. Yeah. Signature. signature look. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. My signature. Like that's a good. So the videos you released about five so far, they're breathtaking. They're really films that capture the gravity of these cases. How much thought do you put into the videos? A lot, as well as I do with my songs. I want to just stay like, you know, it's a pretty thin line between being disrespectful and being respectful. And that is like the hardest thing to do while we're filming as well. Also, when we write the concept or when I come up with ideas, it's just it's always in focus or like the main focus on it is that we stay true to the facts that, of course, we want to create a feeling too. like with Jim Jones. I think we did it pretty well. We wanted to create all these different um, colors like red, white, black. They all stand for something. Yeah, we put a lot of thought into details as well. And it's something I'm really picky on you know when we work sometimes we like rewrite the the whole concept because sometimes it's just like it's not what I wanted or it's not what I imagined because everything really starts in my head and I just have to close my eyes and I see it and I have to draw it and I have to put the colors together and then I come up with like a mood board and that's when we start to write the concept around it and it takes some time, you know, it's, it's just, it depends also on my motivation or on my, like, on my concentration too. But yeah, the process is actually pretty long. We just want to stay true to facts. Also, like with Catherine Knight, first up, we didn't want it to make a video because I didn't really have that visual idea. So when I don't have like a visual idea, I just better be like, no, I just leave it like how it is. I just leave like to or leave it to a song. Sure. And yeah, you don't want to force like a video. it. Exactly. But then I released it and then I had like this idea, you know, and I and I was like, fuck, no, I released the song now. But now I have that idea. So now we're going to make or we're going to shoot a, a video or will we are in the process of shooting that video. So, yeah, it depends as well. It's not a concept thing that I'm like, okay, we make a song and I make a video as well. I want to have that that idea. I need that idea. Yeah, and if you don't have that idea, I don't want to make a video. I, I just, no. All But One is directed by the Tally Ho Creative Collective. I was wondering if you could t- just talk a bit about discovering them, what you like about what they do. It's just the whole quality and the details it's something i loved from the start and that's why i work with them it's a great team that's why i stayed with them i made my first videos with them and they turned out so great like i love the first three videos so i stay with them they're very powerful visuals what they're cranking out for you it's so so amazing Yes. And they're also like really dedicated to the project. And that's, you know, that's nice too. If you feel like people are, they really love what you're doing and they really stand behind you and they get your idea of videos you want. Yeah. I stayed with them. I stayed true to them. So yes, I will keep working with them. 
they're just doing a great job. Have you ever purchased any serial killer art? No, I haven't. I wanted to, but it was too expensive. Yeah, it, it is expensive. It is expensive. Like, um, there was a pen of a German serial killer. And I was at that auction and they sold it for like 30,000 euros. And I was like, yeah, I thought it's like 200. <laughs> but no, I haven't because I, yeah, it's, it's really expensive. But um, I would love to actually. One person who you've been acquainted with, I guess, who, yeah, um, who has a, yeah, JD, right? He has or had an extensive collection. Now, and he has the screwdriver of Gary Heitnick. You're kidding he me. Has, wow. No, 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 real. He has the screwdriver of Gary Heitnick. Um, you know, Gary Heitnick, that's a detail. He put the screwdriver into the victim's ear so they can't hear when he's coming down the stairs. So they, he put their ear. How do you say that? Yeah, he, he must have put the screwdriver in their eardrum, perforated yes, their eardrum their so they couldn't exactly. hear. Exactly. Exactly. And John Davis has that screwdriver. Yeah. Yes. Wow. So, well, you know, let's uh, go just into that a little bit. Uh, getting John Davis on that track, and when he first, how did he hear your your music? That was actually a coincidence too, if you believe me or not. But it really was because we sent, like, father sent our music to Eric Racy, and he's a mixing guy. He was mixing our songs, and he was currently like working with JD on songs on on his new album. And Shady heard the songs and because he's addicted to serial killers, too, or fascinated by serial killers, too. He asked who we are. Eric got back to us and he made that contact and we got in contact with JD, which was really unbelievable because he's one of my biggest idols. And yeah, we, we, we spoke about it and he wanted to do a feature on Gary Heitnick because of the screwdriver thing as well. And that's how it came along. Have you been by his place to visit his collection? Have you had that opportunity yet? I didn't have that opportunity yet, but I hope that maybe will happen in the future. Yeah, well, that would. Yeah, I, I just can't wait till you guys get a chance to come up to the U.S. and play, you know, do a tour or something like that. And then that you know. would be. Yeah, that would be that would be a dream come true to me. Yes. Have you had the opportunity to play the U.S. yet or has it just been festivals in, in Europe and things like that? I haven't had the opportunity yet to visit the U.S. Well, we are very excited to be able to have you eventually. Yeah. We can't wait. We can't wait. Well, moving forward, what are the immediate plans for Skinned? Are you back in the studio right now? You've got the new video out for Catherine Knight. Is there anything else going on in the immediate future? Um, so I'm pretty busy at the moment. Like, yeah, as I said, I work on the Catherine Knight video, which takes like a, a lot of time. But I'm also, we're also in the studio writing new songs for chapter three and also rehearsing our show, which we are creating too. Like we're creating visuals for the live show and backing tracks. And that's what we're currently wake, uh, working on. Very cool skin. We are looking forward to all of it. And we thank you so much for hanging out with us today. We really appreciate it. And we love yes. what you do. Thank you so, You're so awesome. much. Thank you so much. Thank you. 
That was the Boo Crew Podcast, episode 90. Special thanks to our guest, Skinned. Follow Skinned, that's Skinned with a Y on Instagram, at Skinned underscore music and at It's Skinned on Twitter. Online at skinned-music.com, where you can get tickets to their upcoming festival appearances internationally for 2020, including, since the time of the recording of our chat, their first U.S. performance announced so far. Epicenter Festival in North Carolina, the first weekend in May. Hopefully more coming soon. Get their latest EP, Chapter 2, everywhere now and check out all of their incredibly done videos like the brand new one for their song, Catherine Knight. Music on this episode from Skinned, production tracks from Powerman 5000. Till next time, it's the Boo Crew saying, see you on the other side. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Boo Crew Podcast. Haunt the Boo Crew at TalesFromTheBooCrew.com. Tales from the Boo Crew on Facebook and Instagram. Follow us on Twitter at TalesFromTheBoo. The Boo Crew is Lauren and Trevor Shand and Leone D'Antonio. The Boo Crew is produced by Lauren Shand, chopped and sliced by Trevor Shand. The Boo Crew is a TSP creation, part of the bloody disgusting podcast network. Bye. A bloody disgusting podcast network, home of the Boo Crew. For horror-centric interviews, SCP archives, weekly full-cast storytelling, horror queers, genre commentary from an LGBTQ perspective, and creepy for disturbing and terrifying creepy pastas. Listen free wherever you stream audio and at bloodydisgusting.com slash podcasts.